but I'm going to do a, a message that actually goes with the holiday that we're on. Usually it's like, you know, Mother's Day and I'm preaching on, you know, the day of the Lord or something like that. But, but I'm going to actually preach a message on fathers, but I'm going to preach it about the father's heart. That's one of my favorite topics, and I just, I love talking about the way the Father feels towards us. And so, you know, I'm just looking, and I'm looking across the room right now, and I'm thinking, isn't this fun? We just started this little Sunday morning service, you know, a few weeks back, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, in a minute, this room's going to be full, and we're going to have a full Sunday morning, and then a full Sunday night, and then Stephen Eugen's going to have to do, like, Saturday night or something. Just, what we'll do... You know, we'll give you the early morning Sunday service because that's where the real anointing has to be to draw the crowd at like, you know, 7 a.m. or something. Are you feeling that? But I'm just, I don't know, I'm thinking this is so fun. We start a little service and (laughs) Connie Calloway is cheering you on. Oh, okay. (laughs) But this is, we just start a little service and, and people are showing up. And uh, what a blessing. It's just good. Anyway, all right. I'm going to teach a, a message on uh, the Father's delight, the delight of the Father's heart. So let's just pray once again and just ask the Lord to come with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, we love you. We love to be able to be before you. We thank you for the opportunity to, to fellowship with you, with one another, the spirit of the Lord here in our midst. Lord, we want to hear what you're saying to us right now. We want to hear your heart towards us. So I'm asking God, release revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation about your heart. Oh, Abba. 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 You're always looking at us. You're always thinking of us. You're always smiling. Instruct us again in the knowledge of God. We love you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. I, uh, I was noticing uh, in the last several weeks how I will tend to uh, go up and down in the way that I view God, in my, in my image of God. And I was noticing uh, a few weeks back how I was a little on a downswing, and I was uh, not um, conceiving of God as a God that delights, the God that's happy. And I was uh, just subtly, internally, uh, I mean, if you had given me a questionnaire, I could have easily answered the questions the right way. But subtly and internally, I was feeling like, you know, God is a little bit perturbed with me. He's a little bit agitated. Um... You know, he's a little bit, uh, just, just a little frustrated. And I was noticing how it was affecting virtually everything I was doing. And, uh, and, and I, what I began to realize was this. I, I heard a, a, a minister say this, and I really think it's true. But he said, you know, many, many people that deal with shame, they deal with shame, uh, the reason why they deal with shame is because internally they have a subtle frequency that is sort of always going, this low-grade frequency going inside their heart, uh, and that frequency is testifying to them that they are unworthy. 
It's testifying to them that they don't perform well enough. It's testifying to them that God's agitated with them, that God's a little bit upset. And so they have this low-grade frequency in their heart that is already putting them in the place of shame before they ever do anything. And what happens is it, it looks like this, you know, if, if in your heart, the place that you start with God, the place that you orient from with the Lord is that you think he's a little bit perturbed with you. You think he's a little bit, you know, angry with you. Then all of a sudden, everything else that you come in contact with, all the other uh, attacks and, and accusations that the enemy brings, all of a sudden, they have so much more traction in your life because you start from this place of thinking that God is a little bit upset. And I was realizing in my own heart that there was uh, accusations coming against my mind. Just you're not, you know, just the, just the standard stuff. You're not doing well. You're not doing good enough. You know, God's not pleased with you. You know, uh, all this is for nothing, you know, and, and you're killing yourself. And what does it matter? And nobody's, nobody's getting saved and nobody cares and da, 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 da. And, and the, the accusations in my heart were having real impact on me because the enemy was parading like it could be the Spirit of the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, all of a sudden, what I realized was, hold on a second. God's not mad at me. God likes me. He's not a little bit agitated with me. He delights in me. He's not frustrated with my performance getting me to perform better. He's pleased with me. And therefore, if the, the, the good things about God are true, then these, these lies are false. And therefore, if you know, these accusations about you're not doing good enough or you're not performing well enough or that shame sensation, all of a sudden, it begin to dis, dis dissolve in the light of this, that God really likes me. And I tell you, that's been the, that truth has been the truth that has impacted my soul probably more than any other truth in the last five years. God likes me. He likes you. He really likes you. God really, really likes you. He's a father that delights in his children. And what I think happens is this. Most of us don't even realize it. But we carry a low-grade frequency. This low-grade sensation in our soul. That's all the time testifying to us and speaking to us. That we're not good enough. We haven't performed well enough. That uh, we haven't measured up. And because we carry that sensation of shame on the inside, we start with God in this place of, I'll try better, I'll do more. I, if, I'll do whatever I can, God, to make you like me. And God's going, what are you talking about? I already like you. I'm already delighted in you. I already take pleasure in you. And uh, I think... Most people, most Christians, spend a lot of time trying to get God to like them. And it's sort of a waste of emotional energy because he already likes you. He really already likes you. 
I was thinking how strange it would be if, uh, you know, this morning, well, let's just take yesterday morning because this is how it worked yesterday. When I was in, I, my wife and I were uh, awakened at a ripe early hour by three little guys who were, I don't know how they do it, but they wake up and they're on 10 energy-wise. You know? And uh, they all come and they got to get in bed. Got to get in bed with Mary Beth and I. You know, through the door, in the bed. And uh, the, the, our middle boy loves to be in the middle of us. So he's, he burrows himself in. He's, he's in there and he's <laughs> just laughing. Well, the oldest boy, he's on the side and I'm keeping my eyes closed. You know, I'm like, oh. Because it's, it's Saturday and it's early and, you know, they've had 12 hours of sleep or something. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, man, just a little longer. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm, trying to, I'm playing possum, got my eyes closed. I can hear the one boy, the older boy on the side, and Evan, he's saying, he goes, hey, man, hey, shh, dad's trying to sleep, man. He's like yelling, but it's a whisper. Hey, Saya, stop being so loud. Stop moving, man. So I goes, okay, yeah, yeah. So that goes on for like 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm just sitting there. What if when I opened my eyes, I looked at him and I was just agitated? You guys, you're trying to be close to me. You want to be intimate with me. And man, you're just messing my morning all up. Get out of bed. Get out of the bed. I don't want you around me. That would just be wrong, wouldn't it? You know, I just was sitting there trying to sleep, interrupted, but in my heart, just thinking, this is so funny. This is so cute. This is so sweet. These little guys, they just want to be in bed with Mary Beth and I. And, I, and most days of the week, I'm up early. So if I'm in the bed when they come in, they're always trying to cuddle up, snuggle up to me. And, uh, you know, the pleasure in my heart about feeling that they're even interested you know, is, it's, it's, it's bubbling up, bubbling over. And I think the father is a million, a billion times more happy and pleased with us than I was with my little boys yesterday. But I think sometimes we think that the father is the father that's agitated and angry and perturbed. We think he's the guy that would wake up and go, hey, you just woke me up. Go, get out of here. Go get back in your own bed. Instead of the father that's like, hey, fellas, what's going on? And we, what ended up happening was we ended up having a 45-minute wrestling match in the bed. And I was doing all my kung fu stuff with them, attacking them with my feet. You know, I can hold three children down with my legs. You feel kind of, kind of superhuman when you're wrestling nine and under. <laughs> you feel very supermanish. But uh, I think sometimes we think he's the, he's the father that's easily agitated. And so we wake up in the morning, and it's kind of like this. We, we do like, it's like the carryover from when we were sinners. We do the inventory, like, what did I do yesterday? Did I mess up? You know, if you ever, if you ever were, you know, a sinner and you went out partying big time and, and, you, and you did the thing where you drank too much or something the night before, you wake up the next morning and you go, what did I do last night? Did I do anything I'm sorry for? 
And I think so many, so many of us, we, we live that way. We wake up in the morning and we go sort of before the Lord, what did I do yesterday? You know, I, I'm sure there's something I did wrong. And so he, I'm sure there's something I've got to make you happy with me. You know, there's something I've done wrong and I've got to make amends for so you'll be happy with me again. But I think of it so differently. I think when the Lord, when our eyes open in the morning, the Lord is just smiling. He is going, there you are. You're awake again. I'm ready for another fun day. Let's enjoy ourselves today. Hey, little buddy. I mean, he's excited. And I know sometimes I process this way. I'll be praying in the prayer room, and one day I'm feeling God. I'm going, oh, this feels so good. Oh, you really do love me. All oh, the verses are true. You know, you can read the one you know, you know, by, like the back of your hand. Oh, for God so loved the world. Oh, you love me. Ah! And then the next day, you don't feel anything. And you go, oh, I don't feel anything today. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's not real today. Maybe I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. That's what it is. You're mad, and therefore you're holding back your presence, and I don't feel you. And uh, what do I do? What do I do? I got to do something to make you happy. What do I do? God, I'll do anything to make you happy. I'll fast. I'll fast everything today. I won't, I won't even drink anything today. I won't, I'll, I'll fast food and water. I'll do anything, God, just so you're happy with me again. And we do these calisthenics in our emotions. And we are so moved by the, the slightest little thing. And I think we orient from that place that thinks that God is just about to be angry with us. So you better not mess up because he's really ready to be perturbed and ticked off. And, uh, you know, if we had earthly fathers that maybe had a short fuse, it's easy for us to ascribe that trait to God the Father. If we had earthly fathers that maybe they got, they got angry quickly or maybe they were under a lot of pressure at their job and came home and just one thing happened and they blow up. If we ever had that in our experience, then it's easy to take that trait and ascribe it to the father. But here's the bottom line I'm trying to get across is this. If you have that internal frequency that's telling you you're not measuring up, if you have that sensation on the inside that's always playing, it's telling you you're not doing good enough, you're not performing well enough. God's not happy. You've got to do better to make him like you. That is the voice of condemnation. It's the, it's the accuser. He's accusing you to yourself and accusing God to you. He's telling you that you're not good enough. And he's telling you that God is one that is angry and, and, and frustrated God's not like that at all. He doesn't have a short fuse. In fact, the father, the character traits that are in the father, if I can say it that way, it's not exactly right theologically, but the traits of the father are so different than the picture that we've, we've painted of him. The, the Bible says this in John 5, that the father has taken all judgment and he's committed the judgment feature of God to the son. So the father is without criticism and without judgment. And so when the father looks at you, he, he's looking at you without judgment, without criticism. He's always drawing you in. He's always reeling you in, bringing you into the knowledge of who he is and in trying to introduce you to his son. I think so many times we've got this skewed and perverted image of God 
It causes us to walk around believing that we start with God at a place of disadvantage. We start with God. We orient with God at this place of him being uh, dissatisfied. And we've got to do something to sort of work ourselves into being accepted. Let's think about this for a minute. What could you possibly do to make God who is perfect accept you? Like, how many Boy Scout oaths can you take? I mean, like, what could you possibly do to measure up to one that's perfect? To be acceptable to one that's perfect? I mean, how much better could you get? You really can't, is my point. It's not something you can produce. It's only something that he can give. Accepted by God is only because God authors it, not because you author it. So I just want to talk about this. I want to talk about the father that delights in his people. The father that is kind and tender. The father that is sweet on us. The yearning gaze of the father who's always looking upon us with affection. And I just tell you this, when you get that little feature locked in about the father's heart towards you and that shame begins to dissolve inside of you, everything else in the world, it looks different. It all looks different. The way you relate to other people is different. You won't be so quick to be frustrated. It, it just changes the way you, you, folk, uh, you interact with other, other people. It changes the way you go about doing everything. Your lens of God. And the, the enemy loves to try to uh, pervert our lens of God. Because everything stems from that. Our knowledge of God. And my heart is, my heart is, uh, it's touched, it's moved for, for the church. Because I think we mostly think God's a little bit angry. A little bit disgusted. A little bit ticked. And ready to sort of do something to us in a negative way. And, and the, the Bible is clear. It's, it, he's the exact opposite. He's pleased and delighted. God is pleased and delighted. I've asked this question in crowds in many, many different circumstances. And I, said, and I say, is God mostly glad or mostly angry? Is he mostly uh, affirming or mostly rejecting? Is he mostly pleased or mostly disappointed? And, and people, many times they can answer and they'll say, he's mostly pleased, he's a mostly glad God, and, and when they make it global, he's, he's generally glad about everybody else. And I say, so how does he feel about you? Is he mostly pleased or mostly disappointed? Is he mostly glad or mostly angry? Is he mostly accepting and affirming or mostly rejecting? And people can think that God is a good God. He's, he's got you know, delight and pleasure in his being so long as it's about everyone else. But when we dial it down and make it about ourselves, and you ask the question, is he mostly happy or mostly mad? All of a sudden, the lines get way more blurry, don't they? And it's because of that internal thing, that internal witness that's telling us we're not doing right. And that is just the voice of condemnation. 
And so the way out of that is this. We have to feast on the affections of God. We have to feast on what the Bible says about God's affections and his emotions for us. Because these mentalities that reside in us, they're not displaced just in an instant. They're displaced over time and by revelation of the Spirit of the Lord, revealing to us the true nature of God and what he's really like. And I tell you, when I've ebbed and flowed back and forth and this thing I was explaining that happened to you just happened to me just a few weeks ago. I was ebbing and flowing back and forth and I found myself, and, and I, I believe this stuff. I love the father heart message. I love the bridegroom. I've got hours of teaching on both, on the father heart and, and the bridegroom God. I've got hours of teaching on it. I find myself ebbing and flowing and I ebbed right into this place of I've got to perform better. God's a little bit angry with me. And the accusations were taking traction. The things were accusing me before the Lord and accusing God to me. I realize I've just got to back to the Bible, open it up, and look at the verses and say, what do these say about the way you think and feel about me? And I think many of us, we know the right answers about God's nature, but we operate under the specter of shame and under the specter of, of, of thinking that God is agitated and angry with us. And God wants to lift that right off of us. He wants a people who know who they are as children, accepted in the beloved. Let's, let's just move through a few verses. And I'm going I'm to read a few verses, but then I'm going to camp on Ephesians 1. If you want to just turn to Ephesians 1, and then you can just take notes on the others and go back there, because I'm going to flip through a few verses, Psalms and, and different places. So find Ephesians 1. Let's, we'll land there. Is this making sense so far? I just, ah, oh, this is one of my, just one of those things I just love to come back to. I just love to tell people about. I love to tell people that God likes them. God likes you. My wife said this the other day, the other day to me, and I thought, man, that's powerful. She goes, you know, he's the lover of our soul. And I went, right. She goes, yeah, but think about it. That means he loves our mind. He loves our emotions. He loves how we act. He's the lover of our soul. He loves who we are. He likes us. He likes us. You know, the stuff that somebody else says about you, that's a little quirky. God goes, no, no, no. I like that little thing. I like that little, you know, just, it's not really OCD, but almost, I kind of like it. He's, he, he is way, way more enamored of us than we think he is. He really is. I'll prove it to you biblically. I'm not just giving you human opinion or self-help. I mean, the Bible is so clear about this. All right, just write down the verses, and I'm just going to comment on them as, as we go through. Psalm 16, verse 3, it says this. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Right from the mouth of God. He goes, there's something that pleases me more than anything else. All my delight. He goes, I put all my eggs in one basket as it relates to what pleases my heart and what I delight in. You know what it is? It's you. It's you, my people. My saints on the earth. 
They're the ones that move my heart. Not, not more than anything else. They're the only ones. That's where all delight is. They're the only thing that moves me. My people. Psalm 147. I love this one. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. He takes pleasure in those who fear him. Somebody said right there, well, I got to fear him and then he's going to like me? Well, see, then what he does is he goes ahead and defines what he's talking about by those who fear him, those who hope in mercy. And what he's doing is he's taking us to this place where being poor in spirit is our starting place with God. Coming to the place where you realize without God, you are nothing. You are destitute. You are naked. You are blind. You are miserable and wretched. Without him, you're in this place of complete destitution. You are fully spiritually impoverished. Therefore, you have to hope in mercy. And God makes hoping in mercy equal fearing the Lord, reverencing God. And he goes, I take pleasure in anybody who's hoping in my mercy. I take pleasure in anybody who's trusting me for salvation. Another way to say it. I take pleasure in anybody who's looking to me for help. You know, hoping in mercy, that's such a good place to be. Because when you get to the place where you can say, I hope in mercy, then you're in no way flaunting anything you think you've got. You're saying, you know what? I'm trying my best, but at the end of the day, I am hoping in mercy. I'm trusting that God is merciful. Lord, I'm doing my best before you, but I'm hoping in your mercy. He goes, oh, I take pleasure in little guys like you. He goes, oh, I take pleasure in all those that fear me, those who hope in his mercy. Psalm 149, verse 4. This one is so sweet. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. He beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. He takes pleasure in his people. And I was just walking around in the prayer room just saying, you take pleasure in me. You are pleased with me. You like me. You like what I do. You like how I think. You like how I smile. You like my jokes. You like my hair. You like my style? You like me. You take pleasure in me. You take, you take, you take pleasure. This is how I meditate. You, you, you take pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure is in you because of me. Pleasure happens in you because of me. Because of me? Because of me. I make you happy. I make you happy? I make you happy. That's how I do it. I go, oh my gosh, this is good. I'm making you happy. I make you happy right now. You're happy with me now. Wait a minute. I'm not doing anything but talking to you and you like it. This is great. This is the way I live. I go, oh, wait. Now, so when I wake up in the morning, you're pleased with me. Huh. Huh. I can live like this. So I go to bed at night and you, you take pleasure. You take pleasure in me. You take pleasure in me. Take pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure happens in you because of me. God looks at you 
and his heart moves. You're one in whom is all his delight. The source of pleasure to the heart of the uncreated God is you. God takes pleasure in you. I go, man, this is really, really good. See, I think a lot of people, they walk around with that internal frequency of shame. They don't think God's happy with them. And so everybody that they come in contact with, you get this, you know, filter, you know, they, and they just act, you know, mean to people. They act negative to people. They act, you know, down on people. And I can see it in my heart. When I start getting disappointed, when I start getting negative about people, it's because I don't realize how pleased God is with me, and therefore I don't realize how pleased he is with everybody else. He goes, why are you so mad at them? I'm pleased with them. I like them. I go, did you hear what they said? He goes, ah, I like them. I go, what do you mean? How can you say that? He goes, I take pleasure in my people. Because it's kind of, you're a little bit off, little buddy, if you're mad at them and I'm liking them. I go, right, right, right. So you think a certain way about them, it'd probably be good if I thought that same way too. That's helped me out of a lot of sticky, yucky situations. It really has. Going, Lord, you think about them a certain way. What is it? And what ends up happening is the voice of my discouragement and disgust with the individual, it begins to go down. And the voice of God's pleasure with them begins to go up. And I begin to see my little problem is nothing in light of the way that the eternal father feels about his children. And I can talk to them from his vantage point and not my own broken vantage point. It changes everything how I relate with people. He takes pleasure, and he beautifies the afflicted. I qualify for that. He beautifies the afflicted. See, we get into problems when we begin to think that we're not afflicted. But our father, he is the hero. He is the guy, he is the rich king who sweeps into the orphanage and the orphans are clothed with, clothed with rags and eat, you know, they're in filth and they're eating sludge, he is the rich king that sweeps into the orphanage and goes, I love you, and embraces and holds the sooty, dirty, little, snotty-nosed orphan kid. He goes, let's clean you up. Why, you shouldn't like me. You're a king and I'm an orphan. He goes, I like little guys like you. We do everything to reject him off of us. You can't be good to me. I've been so bad. I treated everybody wrong. Look at everything I've done. He goes, oh, come here. You can't hug me. I'll get your stuff dirty. He goes, well, clean it off. And it's almost like too good to be true. We are, you know, we are the afflicted ones. The orphans, left alone, dirty and filthy in sin, eating stuff that will kill you. And the king is kind. He doesn't just want to make you a subject. He wants to make you his own kid. 
He comes in with the prince and goes, hey, little orphan, I'm not going to just make you a servant of the prince. I'm going to make you equal to him. Co-heirs. He goes, I love you, little orphan, the way that I love my own son. We look at that and go, impossible. He goes, totally possible. It's totally who I am. Beautifies the afflicted. He beautifies the afflicted. That's me and you. That's me and you. I hope in mercy. That's where we live. Afflicted ones who've been beautified by the Father who's so kind, so gracious, so tender. Psalm 103, I just got it. Let's just do Psalm 103 and then we'll land in Ephesians 1. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards you. As high as the heavens are above the earth. What's trying to illustrate for us? An inexhaustible amount. As high as the heavens go above the earth. As high as that is, at the furthest part, as high as that is above the earth. That's how great his love is for you. You know what? I don't think we've tapped it. I think we think God's the God of 10 feet of love. We haven't even tapped the well of love and affection and delight and pleasure that the Father has for us. We haven't even touched it. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Because he knows how we're framed and he remembers that we're dust. I don't think we understand, I don't think we comprehend the compassionate father. That word is actually, the root word of that, the Hebrew word that is translated compassion, the root word is actually caress. The father that loves to hold us and rub us and hug us. The caressing father. I mean, that's where I want to be. I want to be in the embrace of the father. With him smiling compassionately on me. Understanding my frame and my brokenness. And he's all about lifting me up and beautifying me. So powerful. All right, Ephesians 1. The Lord takes delight in his people. The Father delights in us. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, who chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The NIV says before the creation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame 
before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I just want to read it again. Who chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. I want to go through the phrases. I just want to go through the phrases of Ephesians 1. If you can make it through these with shame still in your heart, you're a better man than me. Because that, th- these verses are geared to destroy shame in us. They're geared to destroy that, you know, works mentality. They're geared to, to melt all that off of us. So let's just look at a few of these phrases. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. I was meditating on this this week. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen by God. Huh. That's interesting. That's really interesting. 2 Timothy 1.9, it says that before time began, Christ had the calling to redeem us. Before time began. Before time started. So this is the way I think of it. I think God creates time, and then he creates Then we get the the seven days of creation in Genesis 1. I think God, who was living outside of time, makes time so he can make the planet, so he can put people on it, so he can love those people. And so God, before time begins, before the foundation of the world, God picks. Now think about this. Before any stars, any planets, any solar systems, there's some 100, 100 million solar systems. Now think about that in the universe. Some 100 million solar systems. That's like our, our sun and our nine, yay, ten planets, whatever they are now. They're adding them and taking them off. Pluto is not really a planet anymore. I don't know what they did to us, but... It's kind of like learning like two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. But then now we've got this E whatever, whatever, and it's a planet supposedly. I'm like, my sons are telling me, I'm going, huh? He goes, oh yeah, Pluto's not a planet. I go, what is it? Doesn't qualify. Pluto's out. E 389, whatever it is, it's in. Like, okay. Anyway, some hundred million solar systems. Before any of that. Because I'm thinking that's a lot to manage. A hundred million solar systems. But before that, before there's such a thing as time. Before there's time, he chooses me. He's thinking about stuff before he makes time. And that thing that he's thinking about is you. He's thinking about you. 
and he's going through the hundreds of trillions of combinations there are to make you. You know, a little different here, a little different there, a little chromosome twist, a little, you know what I mean? And you'd be a little different. He's thinking through zillions of combos. And he makes, you know, a handful of billion of people. And before this whole thing's over, maybe 25 billion, 50 billion people actually have lived. He thinks through zillions of combinations and makes you before time ever starts. Creates time to put the planet in it, to put the galaxies inside of it so that we can live, so that he can have us. He chooses us. You are the dream of God. He's dreaming about you. Before time ever started, before there was an Adam and Eve, before he forms Adam from the dust of the ground on day six, He'd already chosen you. He'd already chosen you. God picks and he picked you. He dreamed about you. How long ago was it he was dreaming about you? Before time started. Now think about this for a minute. He's been dreaming about you since before time started. How old are you? 40, 50, 20, whatever, 70, however, however old you are. He's been waiting on you all that time. Do you think, do you th- I mean, think about it. The God who is delight itself, the God who has fullness of joy, pleasures evermore, emanating from his being. Do you think that God has been waiting since eternity passed through all the eons of time He's already chosen you way back then. Do you think, you know, he's been waiting for you to be born in the earth so he could fellowship with you. Do you think that God who's been waiting all that time, when you wake up in the morning, he goes, huh, I had a bad day yesterday, did you? A little bit mad with you today, I am. I mean, you only have 70 years. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, the babies that are going to be born, those little babies, the dream of God since before time began. And when they're actually formed in the womb, oh, and when they're actually birthed into the earth, something ignites because before that, God didn't have the opportunity to have fellowship with you. You were chosen in his heart. You existed fully in the mind of God before time began. Do you think God's mad with you? Do you think he waited all that time to have a relationship with you and you sort of blew it too much and now he's just mad? Isn't that crazy? We think that? He's just agitated with us? That is so crazy. He is so delighted that you finally come. You could be 70 years old in here. You could be 90. You could be like my grandmother, 101 years old. 
101, that's all you've been around? He's been thinking of you since eternity past. He chose you. He picked you. Out of billions and trillions, zillions of possible combinations, he chose you. Wove you together through, who can, who can engineer the DNA of hundreds of generations? He chose you and he engineered it back then. He knew how, how it would come out for you now. Who's like him? Who's brilliant like him? He likes you. He chose you. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you should be holy. So he goes, oh, I knew it. He didn't choose me for a good purpose. He chose me to put a bunch of rules on me. No, it's not it at all. Holy, set apart. Holy means set apart and different. Unique, other than, and pure. He chose you to set you apart, to make you beautiful. To adorn you with beauty. To make you beautiful. To to beautify the afflicted. He didn't choose you to put lists and regulations on you. He He chose you to make you glorious. He chose you to make you radiant. He chose you that you would shine with brilliant brightness. You would emanate the very glory of his being. He chose you to glorify you. That we should be holy and without blame. Blameless. Blameless. He chose you not so you'd walk around with shame in your heart. Not so you'd walk around wondering, are you mad at me today? He chose you to make you totally alive and free in heart, living blameless before him. You know, I'm just imagining. See, we can, we touch this, and the more revelation we have in this age, we touch this sense of living without shame in this life. But I'm imagining the day when I stare into the eyes of eternity, the God who's existed forever, I stare into his eyes and there's no hint of wondering in my heart whether or not I'm okay. Totally without blame. See, the Father wants us without blame before him now. Blameless, holy, glorified. He chose us. That we would be before him. Before him. I just love that. See, he didn't choose me to abandon me. He didn't choose me to leave me alone. He didn't choose me to put me out there and just make me lonely. He chose me to be before him before him, to be with him, to be before him, intimate. He wanted me to, to be right there with him. Since before the world was formed, he, he thought of me and he said, I want Billy with me. 
I want him with me. Put your name in there. God said that about you. The very fact that you're breathing air is a testimony of the truth of this. That he wants you with him. Before him in love. I love how Isaiah 42 puts it. it says he upholds us and he holds our hand. I don't know what the Abba's doing with you, but he is holding my hand. Because I can't do this. I can't do this life. I can't do, you know what I'm saying? I can't even tie my shoes. Lead a ministry, please. Like, talk about living over your head. I haven't seen where it gets light up. I mean, it's so far over my head. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's holding my hand. Dad's holding my hand. I can just do about anything with Dad holding my hand. You know, my sons, we walk across a parking lot and there's cars. You know, they're like, mm. but as soon as I hold their hand, they're like, come on, car. Dad's got me. You can't run him over. He's invincible. My children are so cute. I wake up in the morning. They say, the king is awake. <laughs> I didn't tell them to say that. Sometimes I come home and they go, the king has returned. <laughs> My middle boy goes, dad, you're just, he goes, you're just like a superhero. You're like a, you're like a superhero, dad. You know what? Our dad, our Abba, he is the superhero. We're holding his hand. The cars can't hit us. We're holding his hand. Nothing can stop us. We're holding his hand. No wonder. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because dad's holding my hand. Do you ever remember that feeling? Just maybe when you're little holding your dad's hand. Maybe you're four, five, six. And all of a sudden it just seemed like everything was handled. Dad's got me. He always wanted us to hold his hand. He always wanted to hold our hand. He wanted us to be before him. And in love, he predestined us. In love. I love it. Because right now, is a testimony of the truth of that. Here's how. Predestined means this. God lays down a pre-programmed track within your own spirit. And when you say yes to Christ, that thing begins to play back and you begin to operate into the destiny that God has for you. You keep saying yes to God and no to the enemy. You'll find yourself going right down that pre-programmed track that he's already laid down before you. And see, he's predestined you in love. What does that mean? That means he's predestined you to, to go on a collision course with the knowledge of his love. He's predestined you to know that he loves you, that he delights in you, that you are his treasure, that you are his joy. He's predestined you to know that he's staring at you. As, as many as are the, the sands of the sea, so much are his thoughts for you. He's predestined you to know that you are one in whom is all his delight. He's predestined you to know that. You know how I know that you're predestined to know those things? Because the very fact that you're here hearing me say it proves you're on a collision course with these realities. Every time I get to say that, it's always true. You are on a collision course with these realities. You know how I know? Because you just heard me tell you. He's predestined you in love. 
We've made life such a poor gift. We've made it out to be this negative, negative thing. You have been predestined to be loved by love itself. You've been predestined to be a child of the king. You've been predestined to, to, to flow back and forth with affections with the Father. Somebody says, well, you know, that's all good and well, but we've got to get about the business of God. We've got to do some things for God. Let me tell you something. You can't do anything for God unless you know what he's like. Unless you know his affections. I, I've carried this in my heart for so long because I got so drilled it into me. You've got to go do something for God or you're not valid. You've got to do something for God. You've got to go do something for God. And what I realized was this. I couldn't enjoy God because I was too busy thinking I had to do something for him. What if my children walked up to me and said, Dad, what can I do for you? I go, hey, just come over here. No, Dad, what can I do for you? I go, come on over. I want to hug you. No, i got to do something. I'd like... Do we have the number for a counselor? Like, what is up? Come here, sit on my lap. Okay, for a minute, but then I want to do something for you, Dad. I'd be like, whoa, calm down. 15 minutes. What if, what if they're like, okay, Dad, that's fine. We can do something. And I and, come over, I'll play with you, Dad. Okay, and I play with them. In 30 minutes, they go, don't you want me to do something? I go, uh, No. Let's enjoy each other. But I, I feel like I, sh- I should be doing something for you. Isn't it like that? We get so much intimacy and we go, ah, I'm just, I'm just not doing anything for God. I'm not doing enough. Why don't you do this? Why don't you, why don't you minister to his heart? Do something. For, you want to do something for him? Love on him. I promise you, he knows how to get his children flowing in their destinies. He, he knows how to get them operating in the stuff he's, he's pre-planned for them in his good pleasure. If you will saturate yourself in the knowledge of his will for you, and, and, and the knowledge of his delight for you, I mean, and the knowledge of his affection for you, you will come in contact with the knowledge of his will for you. I guarantee you. And it won't be this, oh, I was liking you, I was liking this so much, and now I gotta go do something. I mean, you will flow right from that place of his affections. He predestined you in love. Sometimes we think he predestined us in duty. He didn't. He predestined you in love. Some of you need to hear that. He predestined you in love. In love. He's not trying to get more juice out of you. Some of you feel like you'll have served God Rightly, if you are totally wrung out and all the juice is wrung out of you, then you've really served God. That's not how, it wants, how he wants it at all. He wants you to be flowing, alive, full in heart, experiencing his affections. And whatever you do, you do from that place of knowing that he loves you, he delights in you. predestined to adoption, it says. I'm going to land in a second. Predestined to adoption. I touched it a minute ago. He chose us, and he didn't make us slaves. He made us sons and daughters. And when he made us sons and daughters, he didn't make us like little stepchildren. He made us the same as his own son. It says in Romans 8, he's given us the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
See, Abba was the term that only the flesh and blood children could, could call the master of the house, the head of the house. See, father, all the servants could call him father. But Abba was the term of affection. And only the blood children could call the, the father of the house Abba. It was a term that signified that I am fully a part of him. And so when it says he's predestined you to adoption, he didn't predestine you to be the adopted little stepchild. He predestined you to adoption as sons. And he gave you the same entrance that he gave his own son by which you cry out, Abba, I am yours, fully yours, the same as Jesus is yours. I am yours. And he says it back to you. He says, you are mine. You are fully mine. Just the same as Jesus is mine. Call me Abba. Call me Abba. And then because of his good pleasure. See, when God was trying to figure out before time began what would please him the most, the answer came to him. You. You. Why did he predestine you to adoption? Because of his good pleasure. He goes, what would please me the most? Creating galaxies and universes and stars and cosmos? No, no. I just want to make Billy. That's so good. You like me more than you like all that stuff? Oh, yeah. I just want to make Billy. I can live like this. I can live like this knowing that I am the good pleasure of his will. Shame has, has buried us for so long. We've been so under the pressure and the pain of performance, and shame has held us down for so long. He just wants us to enter into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. And all creation is waiting and just longing for the revealing. The glorious liberty of the sons of God. I want to see children that know their inheritance. And then finally it says this. He made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in the beloved. See, that, that sound of shame in our heart, it tells us that unless we perform better, unless we do good, unless we change and make it work and make things right, that we're not accepted? It's such a lie. Because there's nothing you can do to be accepted by a perfect God, right? He made us accepted. He made us accepted. He sacrificed his own son to make us accepted. He made us accepted in this group called the beloved, the ones I love. He made us accepted. See, you win. You win. If you've got that, you win. What more is there to conquer in life if God accepts you? What more is there for you to do if the Father accepts you? You're accepted by the Father. Not you can't do something to be accepted. You are accepted. When you woke up this morning, you're accepted. When you go to bed tonight, accepted. When you lose your temper, Accepted. When you repent, accepted. 
When you blow it big time, accept it in the beloved. When you do really good, accept it in the beloved. You've already won. You're already in. You can't work to get in. You're already in. The blood of Jesus got you in. Do you see why it has nothing to do with your performance? It has zero to do with your performance because the blood of Jesus got you in. It got you in this place called accepted in the group that God loves. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. You mean I don't have to work anymore to try to make God like me? No. You mean I don't have to go like try to help old ladies across the street and then maybe all my goodness will be, you know, real high and then God will accept me? No. You mean it's already done and he already likes me? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See, my children, when they were born, each of them, I didn't have to plan it. I didn't have to figure it out. When each of them were born, when they came out of the womb, and I got to be there on, in all three of the deliveries, when they came out of the womb and I saw them for the very first time, I didn't try to, to muster it up. I didn't have to. <sighs> A volcano of emotion overcame me and love exploded and I began to weep each time. I didn't expect it. Nine years ago when my son Evan was born, I wasn't a big crier. I'm a little bit more of a crier now, but I wasn't that big of a crier back then. I started crying, looking at him, overwhelmed with love. He hadn't lifted a finger. He didn't know my name. He didn't know anything about me. He didn't even know who I was. But I was totally committed to him in love. Nobody was going to touch him. Nobody would hurt him. I had him and I was going to hold him. And I just, I remember when I first had the chance and I cleaned him off and I'm, I get to, you know, Mary Beth gets to hold him and nurse him and then I hold him. My first real chance to hang out and I'm just staring at him. Every feature, his eyes and the little eyebrows and the skin and the little pieces that are hanging off and just, you know, I mean, the little noises he's making and his hair, just that soft, fine skin and the little fingers and those little fingernails and the little wrinkly hands and just, you know, the arms. It looks like a two balloons, you know, just a little wrapping right there and his little scrunchy legs. I mean, you're just holding them. They're perfect. He had a big chomp out of his ear. He had this big cut out of his ear. He's perfect. You know, my middle boy had this called a stork bite right there. He had it for about three years. He was perfect. It didn't matter. He hadn't done anything. If that's how I felt about my kids as a human father, and the eternal father is perfect in love, he is love, how much greater of a sensation of love does he feel, of delight does he feel for you before you ever lift a finger. They didn't even know my name. Beloved, this is good. It's okay for you to believe this. It's okay for you to believe God likes you. It's okay for you to walk around with a smile on your face going, 
God like really likes me. He likes me. It's okay for you to give yourself to knowing the way he feels and thinks about you. So often we live under that specter of shame thinking we've got to do to measure up. There's nothing to do. Jesus already did it. It is finished. You are part of this group called Accepted in the Beloved. Accepted on the team that God likes. That's you. Good, let's just stand. to the praise of the glory of his grace. That just simply means this, that there's no, no thing that we can muster to make it happen. It's all to the praise of his grace. Lord, I'm asking for a revelation of your love. I'm asking that you would right now break paradigms of shame off of us. Break paradigms. Set us free. You deliver us because you delight in us. Psalm 18, verse 19. Because you like me and I bring you pleasure, you set me free. Lord, right now I'm asking. Breathe on us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Testify to us to love the Father. This Father's Day, this Father's Day. For several of us, God, that we deal with this shame hanging over us like we've done wrong, we haven't pleased you well. God, I pray right now you'd even deal a death blow to it. You would yank that out of us. Let us know the way you think, the way you feel. Let us know that the blood of Jesus has already done everything.